Hey, hey, how's everybody doing? Hoping you're having a fantastic day. Just coming here live for our morning show. And you know, Hassan, Hassan, if you're out there, you're supposed to be here. Dende, if you're also out there, you're supposed to be here. Both of them stood me up. Can you believe that? So I'm going to put the invite link right here in the chat. I'm going to put it in the Discord. Whoever wants to join, just to chat, you know, normal morning show stuff, answering questions, uh, all that fun stuff. Just uh, join the link and we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But uh, before we begin, the show was brought to you by FluentGreekNT.com. So any of you guys out there want to learn Greek, check out Fluent Greek. Fun stuff. Uh, works off of some really cool, uh, really cool technology that, that has been developed that kind of brings spaced repetition um, and then incremental difficulty uh, in order to read the New Testament in its original language. So if you guys uh, want to do something like that, um, if you're interested in biblical studies or anything, definitely use code militant for 20% off. So as I, uh, as I begin, what was I, what was I late for? This is what I was late for this right here. What is this? You look at the neck beard though. I, I, I decided to give up shaving for Lent, uh, as a form of penance because I know I look ridiculous, uh, when I don't shave. So yeah, you guys are going to have to suffer through this. How many more weeks? Like three more weeks, three, four more weeks. Yeah. You're going to have to suffer through that. But this right here, really, uh, really happy about it. Let me see if I can put it right up here. Franciscan Archive, Bonaventure, Sentences, Volume 1, translated by uh, Brother Alexis Bugnolo. I've, I've never found out how to pronounce his name, but he he translated it. Um, I'm actually going to put the link, uh, franciscanarchive.org. The website looks a bit, uh, some people have said that it looks a bit uh, shady, I guess, but it's all legit. Um, it's a bit expensive, but you'll see why it's expensive once I open it up. I have not seen this at all. So this is live opening up. First volume, Bonaventure's commentary on the sentences. Oh my, this is a huge book. It's $90, but it's worth it. And we gotta, we gotta get these sold so he can, so he can publish volumes, uh, two through four, but here here it is look, look at this massive thing for i guess i can do like a size comparison i got a volume of the summa right here on my desk i've been working through uh, some parts in prima pars so this is this is prima pars um well first half of prima pars and if any of you have uh the aquinas institute edition it is a like really big book but <laughs> this this is Bonaventure Volume 1 of the sentences right here. This right here is a massive book compared to this. So I'm going to get some of this cling wrap off. Okay. Unboxing. 
oh my, this is just like, this is just massive. This huge dust cover on this thing. Like, I've never seen something so, <laughs> I've never owned a book this big. This is the biggest book I've ever owned. It's just volume one. Like, they, they, these dudes were writing like four of these when they were in their 20s. Like, what are you doing in your 20s? That's a big question. Yep, run it off of Franciscan Archive. Here's what's below the, the dust cover. If you wanted to see, just massive book. Gosh, I don't even know how much higher I can put my mic. And th this isn't even like a like a parallel version either. This is just all English. Uh, so just massive. Good big typeset. So, I mean, it's not hard on the eyes or anything like that. Uh, this is just a really, really beautiful book. And what I really like, uh, because I got a friend to give me a few scans of, of some of the pages on here, just so I can see how it is. But he, inc he includes the, uh, the scolia. Uh, after the questions that were put by the original editors. So it it uh, sets Bonaventure's thought in context with the rest of medieval scholasticism. It's just really, really good. Much better than the, uh, what what is it, like the Franciscan Press versions, where it would, it would cost this much to get this much, except you don't get the quality uh, right here in the uh, Franciscan Archive version. So definitely, uh, if you can, if you can afford the $90, uh, do consider uh, picking up a copy because we need to get more of this stuff sold because if they sell more, they translate more and they print more. That's just how economics works, unfortunately, but that's how people got to run it. So mucho, mucho texto. So true scholastic unboxing videos you know i i if you're out there and you are you are a publisher i will do scholastic unboxing uh videos for you in review videos if you send me free books i will absolutely do that for you um and, and i will uh, unfortunately i have to be brutally honest um here here's a here's a, i guess another one um I guess I'm doing all my, this is, this is something I always keep on my desk uh, because I frequently refer to it, but Father Garigou Lagrange's De Revelazione, I'm going to do the whole uh, Jay Dyer thing and say like, look, underline, I definitely read it. Uh, let me get past the, the introduction. Underline notes, I definitely read it, I promise. I'm not just using it as like a, as a desk piece. Which unfortunately, some people use their books as like decorative material. I don't underline any of my sumo volumes, so unfortunately, I can't prove that I've read it. But I guess you could see like the the wear and tear uh, on it a little bit. Uh, here's my here's my prima pars. I use this all the time, so there's a good deal of wear and tear on the sides. So I promise, maybe going to start using sticky notes like Jay. Maybe that's uh, maybe I can I can prove that. Okay, since uh, Dende's not showing up, you know, for, for a message out there for, for Hassan. Hassan, we will, we will stick you in a room and we will make you make a new Denzinger for all of the, the post-conciliar magisterial statements. That's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put you in a room and we're going to make you do that. Oh, yeah, an another update. You know, um, I've been blind uh, for a while. I bear well not like actually blind, but I can barely see 
far distances away and I kind of ignored it. But now I have glasses for general use. So be a real to oh, I hate the way I look in these, but it makes everything so much clearer. And there's like shine on it. What what is this? That's it's terrible. Yeah, but I will I will not be wearing these out like on streams or anything like that, just for driving. Oh, Thomas is here. How's it going, Tom? Oh, wait, no, I don't have my headphones. Hello. Uh, I got AirPods right here. Guess that'll work. Let me. Okay. Make sure my audio is still going through. Okay. Speaker, AirPod. Okay, say something. Oh, no. Can he hear? Can he not hear me? Hello? Oh, yeah, I can hear you now. How's it I going? I can't hear you on StreamYards, so it's... No, I can't. I can't he hear you on StreamYards. Oh, you can't? Can everybody out there hear me? Yeah, hold up. I'll... Uh, I know. I just went full soy jack mode. Rip. Uh, Mike is right. AirPods right. Yep. I know I went uber nerd. I, I changed to the... I changed to the AirPod rather than the based gamer headphones. I what what else did I do? I'm I'm now not shaving. I, I'm blind and I'm wearing I'm wearing glasses. Like I am going full full nerd mode on you. Christian is blind. Thomas is deaf. Okay, you guys can hear me. Okay, it was just him. Uh, let me let me go back through the Thomas. Can you hear me? Rip, he can't hear me. <laughs> no wonder why you hate beards. Oh, come on now. Okay. I was being a, a technical technological boomer. So true. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. What about you? I'm doing fantastic. You know, I woke up early. I like to wake up early on Fridays Same. and Saturdays. Oh. Uh, just to be able to get stuff done before the family's awake. And Lexi, Lexi woke me up. And, and I hope you're listening to this, Lexi, because I'll, I'm going to be complaining about you on stream. Lexi woke <gasps> me up at like three o'clock in the morning telling me that she might be in labor, but it's OK. I can just go back to sleep and I go back to sleep and wake up. And then I'm like, are you in labor? And she's like, oh, no, I'll just having Braxton Hicks, which are basically fake, um, oh, wow. uh, fake contractions. And I was like, okay, you, you, you like worried me and like ruined my morning sleep for, for fake labor. Wow. Yeah. Yesterday was my uh, birthday. So it's just like, oh, I get it. Okay. So will we be able to play games in general, not just Vidya in the resurrected glorified state and enjoy them? Uh, no. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff you get, throughout the prophets and throughout the the book of revelation expressing uh how the how the heavenly state will be are just certain material significations of of the pleasures of the beatific vision um since they cannot since eye has not um seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man uh what is what is prepared for god's elect i think that is uh so so we, we have to use certain material images in order to express a essentially supernatural mystery. Uh, it, it's all it, it's a lot like the hypostatic union or the the Trinity, as we kind of babble before, although we have certain um, 
we, we have certain expressions that are able to grant us some sort of uh, analogical understanding of the mystery. But no, uh, video games, unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately, because the beatific vision is a lot better than video games. But in in the in the consideration of the of the enjoyment that you get uh, through video games, you can uh, make a certain uh, meditation of the enjoyment that you'll have from the from the beatific vision. Who's who's Andrew Andrew Slutter Andrew Slutter? Uh, who is this? Sluter, musical artist. I guess he doesn't look too crazy. I guess it's not too offensive. But yeah, my my cheeks have not filled out uh, yet, so I'll have to wait wait for that. You have you have your wisdom teeth? No. Nope. Do I have my wisdom teeth? I do have my wisdom teeth. Okay, I was just wondering because uh, what is OFP? OFP. Do you know what OFP is? You mean OFM? That's the the orders of the Brothers Minor. Oh, oh, OP. Oh, you mean OP, the Dominicans? Okay. Yes. Okay, here, here's a fun question. I plan on maybe becoming a member and sending you a crazy African pastor compilation for a chill stream, only 25 minutes long. What you think? It contains a lot of crazy charismatic stuff. I would absolutely watch that. My <laughs> My wife, and actually me a little bit in high school, but my wife uh, is the is the child of a Pentecostal pastor. And when I was in high school, I attended a charismatic church. So I always love watching stuff like that because, you know, I, I went through a lot of that. Are, are you are you a uh, convert? Me? Yeah. Uh, yes. And I am a convert from uh, I was cradle Catholic. Then I became kind of atheist because I'll explain what happened. My mom, like a good mom, was reading the Bible to me at like seven, eight years old. And she read me one day a story. I think it was Solomon, Solomon just cutting up the baby in half. Yeah. And I was like, this can't be true. This is false. Like my dumb uh, D-Gen uh, seven-year-old state was just like, yeah, this can't be true. And I kind of became an atheist. And uh, somebody on Reddit, yeah, of all places – Introduce me to Christianity. <laughs> My live reaction. To- yes. Introduce me to Christianity again, and he was a Baptist. So I was a Baptist, then I returned to the Catholic faith. Oh, there you go. You were you were a cringe redditor there for a moment. <laughs> it was it was for good. I remember I was asking him dumb questions, like I thought I had to remember every single specific little sin in order to get yeah. forgiven, like the you know. Typical yeah. uh, weird stuff. And then uh, I kind of flirted with seven-day Adventism for a bit when I was a Baptist. It was not a pretty time for Christ. Oh, ooh, yeah. Seventh-day yeah. Adventism? That's so schizo. Because you know the original so... the original guy. What was the original guy's name? That it's a woman for, for once. It's Ellen G. White. It's not a guy. It's a oh, woman. It, no, no. It's, it's, I'm thinking, it might be thinking of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, yes. But the... I think the... I think the Seventh-day Adventists, they predicted the second coming of Christ like five trillion times and got it wrong every time. And then after that, everybody's like, okay, guys, it's still real. Trust the plan. It's still real. Like, come on now. The Seventh-day Adventism is honestly the, the, the easiest 
the easiest uh, institution to the to debunk. Uh, I'll uh, yeah. I'll be looking at a quote that I found a couple uh, a couple uh, a couple of weeks ago about uh, seven uh, Jehovah's Witness, and they said like a specific year. I think like nineteen. Okay, yep. Okay, nineteen twenty-five is definitely settled by the scriptures. Uh... Yeah, you know, I was thinking of the the Millerites, which were oh. the uh, which was the original one in New York, where William Miller preached on the basis of Daniel eight and the day year principle that Jesus Christ would return to Earth between the spring of eighteen forty three and the spring of eighteen forty four. Yeah. And, and then in the summer of 1844, Millerites came to believe that Jesus would return on October 20th, 1844, uh, understood to be the biblical day of atonement for that year. Miller's failed prediction became known as the Great Disappointment. Dude, imagine, imagine, <laughs> imagine being connected. Oh, there's Hassan. How are you doing, Hassan? Oh, average Protestant church uh, history moment. <laughs> The Great Disappointment, dude. The Great disappointment. Imagine having your name connected with the Great Disappointment. You know, between Catholics and Orthodox, you have the Great Schism. They have the Great Disappointment. Of 1844 in the United States. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, I don't get the, the, on the basis of his study of the Bible. Uh, yeah. he, he, was, he was a rural New York farmer. This dude was a straight-up rural New York farmer. And everybody's like, okay, you know, he figured it out. Everybody else didn't know this. No, Hassan, possible. did you see? I have to show you something, Hassan. Uh, did you see this? No, I did not. It's it's a uh, volume one of Bonaventure's commentary on the sentences. Look how massive this is. It makes wow. it makes like the Summa set look like a little baby book. You know, I got to get a picture of Augustine reading this. Have, have you got have you got a, a a PDF for for the for Bonaventure's sentences commentary? No, unfortunately, they they took it down from the internet. And going through um, what's it called, uh, internet archive, you're not able to find. It not used to all Latin. be up on the internet. Not even in Latin. Oh, oh, in Latin? Yeah, we can get the Latin version. Okay, cool. Because I know, because I've already got the first volume of the. English uh, on somewhere on my drive. Wait, you have the first volume in English on your drive? Yeah. And you didn't tell me? I gave you the drive. You could have always looked through it. And I just bought like an $110 book. You should ask me first, you know. <laughs> you know, actually, I wanted the book anyways, so I'm yeah. not, not too mad. But he actually has, uh, I was talking with Brother uh Bugnolo, I think that's how you pronounce his name. And he was saying that he actually has translated volume two. Uh, they're just waiting to sell enough um, cool. copies of volume one before they sell volume two. What's so this I thing hope... about Miller? Oh, oh, somebody was asking about uh, seventh. How do you... Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Thomas was discerning Seventh day Adventism back in the day. No, please don't was... mention it. I, I was I was telling him about how cringe the history of Seventh Day Adventism is because I I did I did a lot of studies in um, American ch uh, Protestant church history, so I have I have a little bit of knowledge about Seventh Day Adventism. The reason why I was so convinced is there's a guy on YouTube. He has a channel. He's very popular. 
his name I think is Bible Flock Box or something. I don't know if you've seen his channels, but he made Bible like Bible Flock Box. He made a, a top top ten like top ten uh, things about the Catholic Church, and it was like all gloomy. Like he was saying that you know the verse come out of her like some, it's in Revelation. It says come out of yeah her, you know, yeah. The rest. He said it was referring to the Catholic Church, and or maybe, maybe it might have been somebody else, but. I know Bible Flock Box has made a lot of claims about the Catholic Church that it's you know the, this you know Antichrist and all that stuff. The dude's a, a nice Bible dude. He's a, he's a vegan. I'm a born again Christian. He's he's like a vegan. I'm not saying that you know it makes somebody better, but you know he's, Wait, he's the not, as the Asbury Demon. <laughs> he, he's not a you know he's not a, a schizo. So yeah, and he used to be you know an ex convict as you've seen. So. It's, it's interesting. How in the world did a prisoner become a YouTube minister? What is a YouTube minister? That's, that's on February the 8th, 2020. Do, am I considered a YouTube minister? Is there like a YouTube priesthood or no, something? I, this is one of the most cursed things I've ever heard of. <laughs> YouTube minister. You have, again, Catholics and Catholics versus Protestantism. You have Eucharistic minister, YouTube minister. Pope Francis calls Jesus a sinner. Yeah, I probably did not say that. I'm not sure. My name is Gabby. I live in New York City yeah, I and I work in SEO marketing. What you do? Okay. I want to see like in the. Oh my goodness! That Jesus intro. had to beg for. to what for, was that? Had to beg. What Wait, what? That? Bro. Do your own. The sheep is. Pope Francis, on the feast of the Holy Family in Vatican City on December the 27th, made a statement that has been getting some attention lately. I'll leave a link to the story in its entirety in the description box if you want to read it for yourself. But the article reads, the Pope reflected on the Sunday reading from the Gospel of Luke, in which a young Jesus stayed in Jerusalem in the temple, causing great distress to Mary and Joseph when they could not find him. For this little escapade, Jesus probably had to beg forgiveness of his parents. The Pope suggested, the gospel doesn't say this, but I believe that we can presume it. Now, I don't... So, Hassan, what's your what's your response to this? That's really stupid. But it like, said Jesus had to beg forgiveness from his parents. Yeah, he... I don't know... I don't know what the original says, but it's really clear that that doesn't entail that he sinned. It just means that, like... You know, he had to explain to his parents, like, why he had to do something that hurt their feelings. Oh, man. What's going on there? Oh, they, look, they look at this. Say, like, he, you know, we've, we've been really hurt by February this. the 8th, to. So uh, what's he going to do? It's like, well, actually, I'm God, so I'm not going to tell you anything. Like, you're just going to have to suck it up. Like, I crashed. I don't think that that happened. Possibly. Uh, there's Very one thing. Outworthy. Can I say something? Yeah, go ahead. This verse uh, that you know Jesus got lost in the temple. This is a verse that I've seen that has been used by some people uh, to say that Mary was a sinner for some reason. I have seen that. That's like, oh. yeah, so, so Okay, so oh, Wesley, uh, about games, I'm more asking if we'll be able to enjoy them as a created good. Not it relates to the beatific vision as if the vision was a game. Oh, okay. So you're asking if we can on this earth enjoy video games as a created good. Yeah, why not? Yeah. You can just enjoy like, leisure. Yeah, just like I can enjoy, you know, uh St. Thomas talks about gaming. 
Yeah, St. Thomas Gamer. Well, hello, guys. Welcome to Catholic Church Simulator. <laughs> so true. I, yeah, no. Dude, See, medieval, example, medieval, medieval Par University of Paris Simulator. My, my thing is hiking. I, I love hiking and going through the woods, looking at old stuff. Uh, you know, old foundations that they're in the woods. I have a weird. I'm, I'm weird. Okay. So you know, I I, I don't think it's different from video games. How about the uh, Irish monasticism simulator? Irish monasticism simulator. Schism you know, simulator. Do you, do you know what they do? You know what they were doing? The Irish monks. They're I've good. I've heard I've heard some of like the history, but I'm not deep into the lore. The people were going. People from different monasteries are going and clubbing each other, and then like taking their books and burning them to spite them. Chads. <laughs> what what's that what are they doing what are they doing it was a really bad situation they, they were also um they were also allowing like siblings to marry and stuff pretty, pretty uh, yeah irish oh, people bro i hope you still finish the review of the final 15 minutes of my taply compilation the next chill stream yeah we'll we'll see when that i i will finish the last 15 minutes but we'll see uh when that's gonna <clears> be because uh baby might be born this week I'm not sure when baby's going to be born yeah hassan i this this was before you came but lexi scared the crap out of me this mm. morning she woke me up at like three o'clock in the morning saying she was having contractions and she might be going into labor and and then she was like oh wait never mind these are just braxton hicks and i was like okay oh, okay okay <laughs> thank you for waking me up at 3 a.m to tell me this you couldn't have waited like five minutes <laughs> to find out whether they were real or not Oh no! How did the first birth go? Was it okay or? Oh, um, labor was really long. Uh, like it, like first birth is always really long labor, and I mean, like obviously you're nervous the the first time because you don't know how things go. But like now, I'm not even worried. <clears throat> like it, it's just it's just whatever. Like delivering a baby isn't rocket science. Like honestly, I could just do it myself. Um, oh. Yeah, I've seen some people uh, that they're like, oh, you should not go to the hospital, you know, do it at home and all that stuff. Yeah, usually they have midwives, though. <laughs> what do you mean which, by midwives? Which that, oh, like, the, it, it's it's almost a purely American thing. Oh. Or I, I actually don't know how it is in England, but it's almost a purely American thing to, like, go to the hospital. Um, like, well, the we, hospital, we hospital, and get, and get doctors. That. Well, I, to I get guess... doctors to do it. It, I think in other countries, it's like upwards of like 80% of births are by midwives yeah. rather than doctors. So, so the thing is that there was a time when going to the hospital was safer, but it's actually not anymore because of like cross-contamination and all sorts oh, of yeah. Yeah, our, our first was with a midwife. Um, it's just we have North Carolina laws are just really weird. So we just kind of have to do it with, with a hospital. But the doctor's, the doctor's pretty chill, so... Yeah, really I'm Canadian, so I'm I'm am not totally American, but it's it's similar. So, Dude, I, yeah, your Canadian rip yes. rip Canada moment. No, that's false. <laughs> is Hassan is British or no? Solutions Eight is my plugin to that network and resource you know. of what's new in Google Ads. I really These want to guys know what are the, the best I've ever found when it comes to understanding the. 
Get out of here. I got mixed comments in response to my Asbury Revival video where I questioned whether or not the Asbury Revival was a genuine revival according to the Bible. So in this video, I'm going to read some of your comments and respond to them. Let's get right into it. The first comment comes from Common Core Reversal. It says, it amazes Common me to see reversal. so many young people giving praise to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope it spreads through this entire country. I have to be honest. That's one thing I liked about the Asbury Revival. It was truly refreshing to see so many young people coming together to worship the Lord, especially considering that unbelief is high among people from Generation Z. That is, those which were born between 1997 to 2012. An online post entitled atheism doubles among generation z states okay yeah i honestly the reason atheism has doubled uh in in generation z is because now uh practical atheism is less of a thing it's not really Dude. that people have gotten like any less devout in my generation uh, i mean in my school sometimes we have a kind of a ethics the, the government changed it to yeah. So in Quebec, we have a very nationalist government right now in office. Based? Uh, no, you'll see no. why. It's not. You'll understand. And they prone uh, separation from church and state but very, 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 very intensely. There was a crucifix at, at the like, If it's like I'm pointing, if it's there, but there was a crucifix at the assembly and they took it off. And the next day, a Norse pagan came in to speak on why Christianity was bad. Anyways. What? Yes. That's so, it's so cringe. Anyways, uh, anyways, so we had, I was the, last year I was in high school, the last year, senior, and I, we were the last people to have an ethics and religion class. And I remember they were asking stuff about religion and I was keeping the discussion going because everyone was atheist. And I was just like, yeah, I object to this. I object to this because I was a, I was a Christian. And there was one dude who made uh, the argument. Uh, it's called, I mean, I've seen a guy called Dark Matter make it. He's a very, 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 very cringe atheist uh, YouTuber. And he basically made the argument of the ridiculous claim. He was saying that Christianity was a claim that was ridiculous and it was propagated. And the more you speak about a ridiculous claim, the more it's true. And I'm just like, no. Evidence? Source? Source question mark source. Source question mark. So oh, man. in my generation, <laughs> we are very atheist. People don't care if they're religious. They say they're spiritual and they believe in like a, like a resurrection and all that stuff. And they believe like they will become like, I'm going to be transformed into a nice uh, plant and or a tree. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> But oh, reincarnation. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I first I'm was sorry. very confused. You said, re okay. Yeah. Reinc oh, bro. That's the worst. It's uh, like sorry um, again. What was that ancient philosopher? Was it Empedocles? Mm -hmm. No, nah, it wasn't Empedocles. It was one of the earlier ones. Anaxagoras, maybe. What well, one of those guys? I'm just I'm just dropping names right now. But there was one of them who saw a guy beating his dog, and then was like, "No, stop beating, stop beating your dog. I can recognize in that voice that bark the voice of my friend reincarnated." Like that's so cringe. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> reincarnation. Sorry again, Wait, my this... first language is French, so sometimes... Is your first language French? Yes. Dude, I can't even tell an accent. Ready to be an e-commerce wow. pioneer? Bluehost has step-by-step... -step Bruce, my ego. To me. <laughs> oh, yeah, they did an exorcism. Hassan has to, has to do this. 
woman is leading the prayer. Oh, no. In my initial video about the Asbury revival. Yeah. I mean, that's the sort of stuff that happens in these revivals. Um, proceeds to beat the dog even harder. <laughs> Dude, I hate like you. Oh, I, yeah, I think it might have been Pythagoras. Yes. Okay. I don't like uh, dogs at all. I've been attacked so by true. Dogs. I hate dogs. I've been a dude. One time in 2017, this is where I got my fear from dogs. From one time, I was playing Pokemon Go in 2017. <laughs> yes, and a dog just straight up to me. And Wait, ex excuse me. How old were you? I was 2017. I was 12, 13. Okay, so, okay fair enough. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that old. <laughs> I, I turned driving this like as a grown man. <laughs> no, I turned 18 yesterday, so. <laughs> yeah, so so true. So yeah, and I was, I was about to say, like, I need a form from your parents or something to have you on live stream. Yeah, I'm I, I eighteen. Don't worry. Uh, what was? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Story, story about a uh, yes. So I was, I was going out to get the mail. That's that's why I was, uh, that's why I was a bit late because I needed to get that book from the mail. And I'm driving uh, to the mailbox, and there's there's this pit bull just randomly out of nowhere starts running after my car and i'm like i gotta get my mail i gotta get back to stream like what do what do i got i wasn't packing at the time so i'm like i can't i can't just like you know defend myself in that way from this ravenous beast but next to me if any of you if any of you watch the really my really old videos i have this massive gallon uh water jug that's like oh, metal yeah. Oh. And I had that half filled in the seat next to me. And I'm like, if I get out of this car and this pit bull comes after me, I'm going to have to like beat the crap out of it with this water jug. This like metal water jug. I couldn't imagine how much that would hurt if you got hit by that water jug. But yeah, I almost got, I almost got ripped to pieces by th this ravenous beast, this pit bull uh, out there. Although I think I could probably take it. I, I, I could take a pit bull for sure. What happened? Did you just get far enough away from it that it gave up? No, its owner, its owner, like started calling it. Honestly, if that if that pit bull, that pit bull's lucky, it didn't like come into my yard or something. I don't mess around. Like I got a, I got a young child. I got an eighteen month old. Dude, I, I just, if I was in America, I would just like beat pit bulls onto my property and kill them. Yeah, yeah I mean, bad. we can, we can do that. Uh, if I, I hate, I, I, according, I hate pit bulls, I hate pit bulls so much. Yeah, I think I think according to North Carolina law, I think it is just um, if they're on your property imposing some sort of like if you have some reasonable like belief that that possibly something like, like the the law is worded in such a way that like, yeah, basically um, you'll you'll be fine. And I mean, the, the police here are very, uh, very conservative. So I, I don't I don't mind if I if I need to clear a pit bull out of my yard. The, the the dog that attacked me was a golden doodle. Okay. How do you get attacked by one of those? It was like chasing golden... after me. My chasing after me. My uh, in laws ah. have golden doodles. I hate golden doodles. They're so annoying. Yeah. I, I just I just hate dogs in general, bro. They yeah. they they like try to like sniff and lick you and try to play with you, and I'm like, get away from me. I'm trying to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they're like children. No, no. Ch children have rational souls, and I, and they are my image in the world, so I, I need to care for them uh, as my children. But, like, dogs, 
they're just gonna die and be dissolved into universal ether. Like, who cares? No, no offense. Uh, no offense. Uh, blessed Don Scotus <laughs> was wrong. Yeah, I know. Honestly, I, I I would actually like to do eventually a study on on uh, the scope of medieval opinions when it comes to that. Most most like uh, what most annoys you is when you have. Most of them didn't like barely cared. Like Scotus gave gave like a really non-committal like yeah, I suppose it's possible, and just leaves it there. And then you have like this whole like Franciscan apparatus based on that like one opinion, it's being like, "No, bro, your your pet dog will be in heaven." Like, yeah, it, it, <laughs> and it, and it's like you have it's it's super annoying because you have basically the entire consensus of theologians. Um, against not not the consensus of the theologian that that's something completely different, but a consensus of of the of the theologians when it comes to this issue besides Scotus and and people and literally the only reason uh, people have now shifted is because dogs cute it's it's like a it, it's much in the same way why a lot of public opinion has shifted against uh, the doctrine of limbo it, hmm. it's like there there's some sort of um, emotional reason that is now clouding my judgment when it comes to like looking within the the theological loci and then uh, generally giving good theological arguments uh, for a certain issue. Like it annoys me so much when I see these so-called Thomists out there saying like, oh, uh, you know, I agree with St. Thomas and all this stuff, but I disagree with Scotus on this uh, and then gives like mildly bad reason that overthrows like i wish some, i mean some key central propositions uh that are defended by saint thomas i, I wish scotus uh, was right on this issue but i don't think he is i wish though but eh. yeah Why would you he wish it was right i don't i don't understand i don't know it would be yeah cool. me neither it's just it'd be, it cool. be cool that, that's yeah, it. But, yeah, but, but, the, but why would it be cool because what i think is um, Go ahead. Are you speaking? Uh, I'll oh, let I, destroy you right now. Wow, I, I'm just wondering: Are you speaking about you know specific pets or animals in general? I, I've heard I've heard of three. There's there's a new opinion coming out of yeah. um, some Protestant circles right now, and it's basically that uh, that it's actually just pets of believers that are what resurrected. They, so what if? Uh, what if the pets of believers are resurrected to manifest like God's love for them because the animals are going to like enjoy themselves in heaven? And then the animals of the reprobates are also resurrected to suffer in hell with them. Steve. <laughs> mm, be, uh... <laughs> oh, bro. That would be like, who counts as the owner though? Like, is it the father of the household or is it like if you have a family pet that like one of the kids kind of watches? Good question. Like, how, yeah. how do the animals get reprobated? So true. These these are these are the important uh, scholastic answers that we need. Yeah. yeah. Back to what I was saying. I think it would Dude, literally cool. Reddit atheists start converting in mass to Catholicism just so their dogs get saved. Yes. It's so true. I think it would be cool to see our pets, but again, in the beatific vision, will we really need it? I don't think so. Okay, yeah, so I don't think you'd even acknowledge them, to be honest. So yeah. there's a uh, a super chat right here. Are assault dogs covered by the Second Amendment? Um, you know, I it to be consistent, they should be, but they aren't. What is sek uh, sek twenty? What is that? I don't know, but 
I will accept. I accept any currency, guys. Why? Why is somebody yeah. from like? Why is some foreigner asking you questions about the American Constitution? Oh, they're Swedish. Like, they're Swedish. Oh, that's know. my Maybe friend Oscar. Oh, hello, Oscar. <laughs> Swedish currency, real. I'm a mod in a server, and one dude's uh, one dude in the vetting in the vetting uh, thing said, "I." Uh, he said, "I am." Uh, uh, SS, I am non denom, but I go to an SSPX church. That's pretty random. <laughs> like, I'm I'm non denom, but I like I like pretty stuff. Is basically what you're hearing. Yeah. I I think honestly, and what I think is a bit more dangerous, like besides the whole discussions about how um, material, uh, how, how composition, oh, purely material uh, beings work. What I think is the more dangerous uh, aspect to this is how I've seen some of uh, their exegetical claims uh, from certain books of the Old Testament where they read like the the discussions about like, let's say the lion, um, oh, the, the wolf laying down with the lamb or other uh, other prophetic You're passages. Kidding about me. No yeah, they, they'll, they'll argue it, rather rather than recognizing uh, actually how to read sacred scripture in accordance with the tradition when it comes to the joys of heaven. Uh, they, they read this in like a crude, uh, like millennia, 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 is it millennianarianism or millennia, millennianarian? Uh, you, you know, like the, the millennialist uh, sort of uh, beliefs. Uh, they, they'll, they'll read in a very crude, uh, Kyleist uh, is a childist, uh, so, something like that. They'll, they'll read the prophetic books out of line with a very early established practice of of reading the prophets as uh, as expressing in a certain created mode the joys of heaven. So I th I think that's I think that's uh, oh okay all pitbulls are reprobates yeah we know that but um. Yeah, I, I think that's the more dangerous aspect of this. I, even I don't understand that. why they have to say that if animals are resurrected, they have to be identical to particular animals that lived on Earth. Like, why can't they just say that there will be new animals of certain kinds, or there could be, like, copies of animals that yeah. like, look the same, like they're materially the same, but they, they have no identity with the preceding one from, like, a thousand years before or whatever. Yeah, I've I've also found uh, at least something that I found a bit troubling with uh, later scholastics that have read like Occam and Scotus, um, their ordinat ordinationes. Um, something I found particularly dangerous, uh, and especially as you start to um, stray from Saint Thomas and Saint Thomas's theological method, is is an over uh, speculative method. Uh, when it comes to what things we're able to say about what God would do or what God is going to do, like that's that's the whole point when it comes to uh, Saint Thomas's teaching on the connection between sin and the incarnation, uh, or popularly uh, whether Christ would have become incarnate had man had not fallen. Though the whole point behind that, the the sort of relation of causality uh, in, in the material order. Uh, between the fall into sin and then the incarnation is to say something about the authority of sacred scripture and our ability to know the plans of God outside of sacred scripture, because the primary motive of the incarnation exegetically is just the fall. 
Um, and now this isn't saying that there isn't a certain primacy to the incarnation. I, I, I absolutely, I think from a reflection on Felix Culpa, the, the blessed fault or the happy fault, I think we can recognize that the incarnation's first in intention and the, the fall flows as a sort of um, consequence of the uh, prime intention of the incarnation of Christ. So I, I, I think as, as a lot of later scholastics are uh, working, they, they get further detached from Revelation and from St. Thomas's very strong sentences, uh, when, uh, especially in his commentary on Dionysius's uh, divine names, uh, with the authority of Scripture uh, in, in the revelation of God's uh, will and, and, God's, um, and God's nature as well. So this is how you pronounce it, millen, millenni, millenniarianism, millen, millenarianism, millenarianism. Is, is that how you do it? Yes, Christian. I, I'm getting the dictionary to pronounce it for me. Millenarianism. Millenarianism. I tried in Latin. Millenarianism. What, what is it in Latin? I think it's almost the same. Let me, let me find out. Oh, Would it be like millenarianismus or something? Okay, it's literally millenarianism. Yeah. Millenarianism. Millenarianism. Interesting. What what is it in French? Uh. Since I we have a French speaker here. I don't even I mean, know. Yeah, use okay. I I put it in Google Translate, so I'm going to share my screen right now. Okay. We're going to get you to get you to pronounce it for us, and I'll check the guy to see if he's right. Okay, that's uh, how it's pronounced. Oh, millenarism. Millenarism. There you go. Millenarism. I have a Quebec. Oh. Millenarism. I have a Quebec accent, so my pronunciation is going to be different. The color millenarism. yellow. Yeah. Millenarism. I just want to. I just want to preface by saying that I disavow the use of French, and I apologize to the viewers. Okay. <laughs> Father Gary you know, is going to be upset. <laughs> my 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 chief contention. Uh, I I've been thinking about this recently. I don't know why you have a lot of these thinkers who are, uh, who you have a lot of these modern thinkers writing in their native languages rather than just writing in English. I I don't get it. It, like right right now the lingua franca is is just english like cry about it like that that's that's if you if you want if you want people if you're like somebody let's say who's portuguese and you want somebody in like france and somebody in germany and somebody uh throughout the world to be able to understand what you're talking about just write in english bro they, the the uh, problem is that in um in europe most people can generally understand each other because people, people, uh, it's it's normal to be. Uh, Do they understand how much more money they would make or books they would sell if they just wrote in English, though? Sure, because they'd be able to sell to like British people and Americans. But it's it's only it's in the world. It's pretty much only Anglosphere people who just insist on being monolingual. That's not normal elsewhere. Yeah, well, it it, it would take a lot of time for me to start learning all these random European languages, and they already speak English well, anyway. The thing is that once you have Latin down, you can you can pretty much read any Romance language. Yeah, think I, I think that actually really helped me out. Uh, I took like five or six years of, I think it was six years 
of Spanish uh, when I was in middle school and high school. And like e- even today, I can still pick up something from Spanish and generally understand what's going on. I I I don't want to hear it pronounced though, to be honest. Well, I I've yeah, I, I guess most of the actual conversational Spanish I've engaged in has been with uh, Central Americans as well. I so see. That makes it even worse. Do it's they like, not like? Do they say that you sound like a like a? Do they sound like? Did they say that you sound like a like a like an angloid? Well, they would call me a gringo. That's funny. Yeah. It, well, my the 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 whole the whole like backstory is my dad. He is a construction worker, as I've, I've mentioned. Well, he's a superintendent, so I mean, he's not like a like a construction worker. He runs job sites, uh, but he he started out as a laborer and eventually worked his way up to like leading job sites and stuff. But that's besides the fact. Um, but I when I was in. Uh, I think it was right after I graduated high school, maybe like during my first year of college, I spent some time working with him because the pay is really good uh, being a laborer, uh, like better than Walmart or anything like that. And a lot of overtime, but almost everybody in the job site uh, spoke Spanish and uh, I was kind of fresh off of a lot of my Spanish. So I was able to hold uh, conversations with them pretty well. And my dad, it's kind of funny. My dad has been working with, Almost, uh, this is like a super Anglo thing right here. My my dad has been working with uh, like almost complete hundred uh, percent Spanish being spoken around him all the time, and he and he like hasn't hasn't like bothered to learn more than like just general construction terms uh, in Spanish. That's like really you think fun. if you were around people for like like probably 50, 60 hours a week every week for for years that you would eventually like pick up their language but he's just like no he's just like you you speak english <laughs> chad move yeah ch- definitely a chad move <laughs> here in quebec i've mentioned this in the past to other people but uh the people don't know how to speak english and it's horrible it's just like Aren't they, aren't they proud of it as well, usually? Of course. Uh, again, since we have a nationalist government, we are very proud of not being able to speak. I, look, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I have no reason to like the French. I have no reason. Uh, you don't have no reason to like Quebec. I, I, I'll give you that. I, yeah, I, I, I think... I, don't worry, I, I dislike France equally. Oh. I, I think a... So... And I think another reason why it's not as necessary to learn modern European languages is Google Translate exists. And Google Translate, when it comes to modern European languages, is actually pretty good. Like, it's kind of crap for a lot of others, but just for, like, French, Portuguese, Spanish, German, like, it's... it's they, they're, they're able to put so much uh, work into that stuff that you're able to understand uh, what's going on. Like, if I threw a French article from, from Gary Goo into Google Translate and it translated, I'd be able to understand what's going on. Uh, Especially since uh, technical terms are just kept in Latin by Gary Goo. So, and there's also, there, there are already terms that uh, English, uh, scholast- well, scholastics writing in English are going to keep in Latin anyways. So, what do you prefer? Uh, Woodbury's use of uh, anglicized scholastic phrases or or Garagher's retention? I, 
I was I was actually talking about uh, I talked to you about this a few weeks ago, but I was talking to somebody else about this yesterday. Actually, I think I think it's best to retain Latin. I, I think this is actually the mind of the church on the matter. Uh, when when vernacular uh, education in philosophy and theology first started to ramp up in I want to say nineteenth and early twentieth centuries, really when it started ramping up, and uh, after Vatican II, obviously, there was almost a complete collapse. But what you would have is you would have the terms and the principal theses were kept in Latin, but the proofs and the explanations were in the uh, in the vernacular. And I, I think that's a good practice uh, to have when possible is to if you're going to force people to learn Latin, make sure it's, a, it's the important stuff. And usually uh, people that just need to have that much uh, Latin, uh, maybe a few dozen terms, uh, probably, probably a little bit more than that, maybe a few hundred terms. Well, like maybe a hundred terms. Um, I'm just spitballing right here. But people that are kept to that low level, they're able to they're able to understand a great deal of what's going on and, and not fall into the errors of uh, translation uh, because it because and I always like to illustrate this uh, for everybody out there. This isn't really for a song because I've already said something like this to him. But just to illustrate uh, for everybody out there, it's kind of like person. Um, I, something I've harped on is person. The term person uh, in our common usage and the the term person used in Trinitarian theology and Christology, they have two very different connotations. And it can often uh, cause people to stumble in the way in which they think about uh, think about theology. And it's and it's really heartbreaking to see because then you see people like William Lane Craig, who takes these easy um, errors that you can make in the English language and turns them into entire heresies, uh, just because you haven't retained the original connotation of scholastic language. So I I, I like a mixed approach, although I do like what Woodbury does um, as a sort of exposition of the term in Latin, I guess. Uh, Try, trying to rephrase Latin terms into like a scholasticized English just so people can can grasp uh, the concept a bit better. I think having Latinized English words is the way to go. Really? Yeah, I think like, for example, the word like quiditative is an English word, but it comes mm -hmm. directly from the Latin. Things like that, I think, are the, the ideal. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I I'll, I guess I'll have to, I, as I engage in a little bit more uh, practical pedagogy with people, I'll have to see uh, what approach works the best for explaining things to people. Because at least, uh, at least from my experience uh, on on the learning side of things, and then a little bit on the on the explaining side of things, mostly on the learning side of things, when people have kept in latin terminology and then just explained to me the sense of the terms it i have been able to grasp it a lot better than having to always have this sort of like uh like for example um in a lot of translations of uh quiditas uh it, it'll be like what it is or something like that or the whatness like with, with that 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 sort of like in, uh, anglicized uh, scholastic terminology it it annoys the crap out of me uh, because every time 
yeah, it's it's unhelpful because sometimes it changes the connotations. Exactly. So I, so I think the, um, I guess the best approach is kind of uh, English cognates of Latin terms that we don't generally use. Exactly. But tr- but trying to trying to push it to like changing quiddity to whatness or something like that. I think that's unhelpful. So I, I guess there's kind of a, a range of options that we, and, and a lot of us are just going to have to figure it out uh, as we start having to uh, be like one of, because we really are one of the, the sort of first generations that are trying to uh, do scholastic theology in, in a completely uh, anglicized context and not being able to um, keep technical terms in, uh, well, keep our entire works in Latin. Uh, so I, I guess it's just going to take a lot of trial and error and a lot of uh, debate back and forth. But I, I think this is going to be one of the big uh, debates that, and a big issues that people are going to have to think about is how how to do scholasticism in English. I mean, you can you just publish in in Latin and English. True. Uh, that you know, um, I was I was talking to Doctor Minard, or maybe maybe it was something I listened to from Doctor Minard, but he said that Garrigou everything uh, at least it was the the practice of early twentieth century uh, scholastics that what they would do is they would write everything in their native language and then they would just translate they would just translate it into Latin. They wouldn't like uh, write in Latin uh, as as they were forming their thoughts, which was the earlier practice, but they would actually that's, just translate everything. Far superior though. Yeah. Because because uh, and I don't just mean that in terms of like oh Latin cool. I mean like the use of Latin involves different like a like a clearer thought process. Because of its, uh, because of the structure of the Latin language. So when you when you write in Latin, it, al- it allows you to have a greater degree of systematicity than any vernacular language. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that I think the strength does come from the very, the very well defined case system. Yeah, like you're you're really a- you're really able to, uh, with the well defined case system, then obviously it being a regulated language. Uh, that was that was really birthed in uh, that that was really brought I guess brought to maturity under the under the Catholic Church uh, and and Cicero Bros can go cry about it uh, Scholastic Latin's better than uh, your your Cicero garbage that you try to bring up humanism can die and cry but um, because it was brought to perfection under the under the Catholic Church you do have terminology that is just it's just terminology that's just geared uh towards expressing us expressing catholic concepts and it and it's there's a grammatical structure that's just geared towards being able to make uh very precise um significations of the relationship between uh the two signs that you're trying to express a relationship with in english we just don't have that i mean we have like like explaining like the the case system to an english speaker is is kind of a funny experience because they're like okay so this kind of means like of right like the genitive you just, you just put an of there well well not not really uh because it can be used in these these different ways this is kind of the the relationship it's 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 uh, designating you and you have to by feel i guess uh begin to understand exactly uh the different ways in which it can be used and how you express something the best 
in English. I think a lot of people, when they approach language learning, just try to uh, be translators rather than trying to think in the language. Exactly, which, which is which is why I think that most natural method books, like they really do teach you to like, they teach you to learn Latin as like a child reading books and picking up the language, mm -hmm. right? I think that's much more helpful than like having a name for each declension and case and like memorizing each one and having grammar tables. I, I just don't think that that's helpful. I mean, maybe later, maybe once you've already learned about it, then you can learn the grammar. Just like in English, most people don't know all like the grammar rules that they, they don't know their names. They don't know them systematically, but they have a feel of it because they've been using it. Right. Yeah. So, so once it does get expressed to you, uh, you're kind of like, Oh yeah, I guess I've like, I, I had to, um, this, this is just American school system moment, but uh, Lexi used the wrong uh, usage of me versus I uh, in, in a sentence. And I was like, well, actually it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be I here, not me. She's like, well, what's, what's like, what's the difference in usage? And I was like, well, one of them is if it's the direct object, the other one is if it's the indirect object. And then she's like, oh, I, I have no idea what like a, like a direct versus an indirect object is. I was like, Bro, you, <laughs> you, you took like AP Lang in high school. Like you, you've been through twelve years of English education. You don't know like what a direct versus an indirect object is. They probably taught her and she forgot. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's pretty typical. Uh, but the the very fact that uh, you aren't kept aware of it, I guess, is is a big issue because no, I mean, like no. 18th century schoolboy would be called dead, not knowing the difference between uh, a direct and an indirect object. And look what it did for them. That, that is, they, they were a bunch of apostates. Yeah. And they also really cringe uh, philosophical yeah. movements. Yeah. Honestly, I think, I think the, the worst thing to happen to humanity was was the renaissance the renaissance was terrible broke really? broke is the way to go yeah broke's the way to go i think it was, i still think it was the black plague baroque or death well there's a there's a lot of good things in, in baroque but i mean i mean the for me i think that the the loss of like the monastic life as immediately uh proximate to the life of normal people that's that's probably like the worst thing that happened to us Bro, camera. You and me and you and I is the most confusing thing about the English language. No, it isn't. No, I don't. It's not even unique to English. What are you talking about? I don't. Th I don't think it's that difficult. It's just ask yourself if you if you were just talking about uh like yourself, like I ate a pizza, or um, and that's uh that's an example of it being the, the subject of a sentence versus um, the pizza ate me. Me is the, is the direct object or um, the, the pizza, a, the, the pizza ran into me. I guess that'd be an example of the indirect object. So, yeah, I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta cast it into a simpler sentence. Can somebody it's the same just difference. say that changing the word order would fix this? Changing the word order. Yeah, me. Um, I guess, but 
I, I think that's another oh, weakness to English is our just uh, the the fact that we're based on word order. That usage gets denoted by word order is that people yeah, just yeah. rely on that way too heavily without understanding actually what they're talking about. It, it generates a lot of ambiguity as well in lots of sentences. And then you have to rely on tone to know the difference. Pure copium. What what is this? What is this foreign language you're putting before my eyes? I don't know. It's nonsense. It's not real. I I don't believe that it's real. I think I think a lot of foreign languages are things that like they really speak English and they're just making it up to troll us. No, Th that's that's true. Because I mean, it's like how many how many English speakers are there in the world? That's a that's a good. How many English? I think the one that has the most speakers is Mandarin, just because China has a very high population. Uh, there were around 1.5 billion people worldwide who spoke English either natively or as a second language, more than the 1.1 billion Mandarin Chinese oh, speakers. I was wrong. Oh, then Hindi and Spanish. Okay, now it's two billion people. What if the French dominated the world reverse scenario? Oh my gosh, then we'd have cringe French. You would have Catholicism though, because the French were Catholics up until 1789. I I, I guess I guess I, kind I of. don't believe this. I don't believe this. Okay, English. Oh, so true. English is a global language. Of course, English is the lingua franca. Uh, but they they should change the. Uh, the EU language to Latin, though, just because it's based. Why? Why? Why did God ordain to cause the English language to receive such a dominance over the world? It's a real question for all the Anglo haters. That is that is uh that is true. <clears throat> like, what what sort of providential plan is there besides to spread Anglicanism all throughout the world? Maybe that just maybe that made like Protestantism so ridiculous that like everybody yeah. afterwards. <laughs> Global Protestantism is become like the most stupid form, so that it's easy to get rid of it. That that is true. Like, if if you think if you're like English or American and you think English or American Protestantism is bad, you should go to like African Protestantism. Oh my goodness, that stuff is brutal speaking about protestantism I, I don't know if you guys have heard of uh, charismatic catholic churches i hate to say this word oh man uh, yeah we all know about that that's uh, our stuff. government uh, our government uh, our diocese uh kind of came out of them and took a swat at them because a lot of the these people were claiming to have new revelation new prophecies in our and i think our bishop addressed them and was like no False teachings. <laughs> so true, dude. Not, mass, they're not always like that. No, no, no. It was the specific church in my city. Yeah. Okay, so old church Slavonic at one time was a lingua franca. Interesting. What What is this? Pro Provencal. What kind of language is Provencal? Italian began to. Provencal. I think it's one of those small languages that French and Spanish killed. Based, based. Sign language. 
sign language. Bro, literally sign language is the sign language is the lingua franca. So true, boys. I'm gonna start doing. Wait, sign. I got to hire. I got to hire a person to like be in the little corner doing doing like the hand uh, sign language during streams. I mean, they could just turn on closed captioning, but you know the. <laughs> Dude, uh, I remember when he doesn't know. He doesn't know that all languages are sign languages. That's true. All languages are sign languages. Okay, somebody's somebody asked us forever ago, but I guess I'll bring it up now that I'm safely an hour into the stream. But uh, thoughts on Trent Horns deny scriptural authority in the early church fathers to own oh, the prophet's no. hot take. Oh no! What is he trying to get at? He, he thinks that sola scriptura isn't possible because in the early church they didn't even recognize the New Testament as infallible. Doesn't make sense. I'm gonna deny the premise. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it, it's it, that, that's that's just like really really shocking to me. Um, that that's like I I mean I've read New Testament scholarship that basically. We'll, we'll say the same thing just because they're they, they don't they don't believe in the faith so they're saying like oh, okay it's, it's and then, then he then he also he also said that, yeah and, and he also said uh some actually what what was more troubling to me is he he basically said to the effect like it doesn't matter whether second peter was written by peter like who cares like we don't we don't rely on apostolic authorship uh, in order to um what in, in order no, to, I mean, uh, I mean that's correct. You know, but the, the era, well, well, when, the it, era when it comes that... to individual, when it comes to individual sections, uh, it, it is the canonical text which is received, and there can be like revisions and stuff. Sure, but, but like it, not yeah. not like okay, random dude in the second century just like wrote this whole book, and now the entire <laughs> church thought it was Peter. Wow, yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's that's not acceptable. But the 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 issue. The issue here really is uh, claiming that there is revelation after the death of the last apostle, and mm. second, um, and the second issue is that uh, we have like a solidified uh, teaching that it that it is revelation, so it has to come from before the the last apostle died. So, to say that it came afterwards is to say that Trent is wrong when it says and all its parts. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't even know why you're, why he's going in this direction. His his methodology in the video that he produced was really weird. Um, he he basically forced the well, forced the the quotations after the time of the apostles to take the form of the uh, New Testament indication of the Old Testament canon. So it is written, or as it is written, or 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 something to something to that effect. He he's he's forcing like if Barnabas quotes I think Barnabas quotes Matthew, but it doesn't say it is written uh before there. Therefore Barnabas isn't actually quoting Matthew as something which is divinely inspired. And that's just a really, really weird methodology. The problem the problem with this is that in the early church there was a division between the New Testament corpus and you know the scriptures, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that didn't that didn't mean that they didn't believe that it was divinely inspired. It's just a difference in terminology because they made more distinctions within the texts. 
Whereas, like, for example, I, I, you know about this, but the word canon didn't just mean the extension of all inspired public revelation. Mm. Like, it had, it had a more specific reason. Uh, yeah, it, it's ecclesiastical, basically ecclesiastical books. This, this is why there's some weird stuff when it comes to the Ethiopic church. Like, they, they, they include, like, first, I think it's first and second Clement, or maybe just first Clement. They include, like, the, the books of Enoch. And, and then you'll talk to some of them, and they'll basically, like, practically hold the Protestant canon. <laughs> and they'll say the other books are, like, different because they're, they're, they're just books we read, so they're ecclesiastical books. So I, I, th I think that's, that's really interesting uh, that actually some forms of the Protestant canon uh, did, did last uh, past the, the, the time, well, last outside of the, the West. I think that the the ecclesiastical sort of secondary canon is things like the writings of Saint Thomas, some of the writings of Saint Augustine, things like that. Think, think, and and certain magisterial texts, things that have become things that are supposed to be read from from the church mm -hmm. afterwards. The catechism. Yeah. So, so we can we yeah. can like describe even like the martyrology as as something which is canonical, just because it's something read in the church. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so I'm. I mean, the the methodology was weird. I think there are some dangerous implications about how we, how uh, like read read for example, uh, basically read all of the biblical encyclicals written in the last century, um, by Leo the Thirteenth, Pius the Twelfth, and I think Pius the Eleventh were like the three the three great biblical encyclicals written in the last century. Benedict, and look at uh, how. Is it was Benedict the Fifteenth. Spiritus Paracletus. Yeah. Okay. It was, yeah. it was Benedict the Fifteenth. I was thinking of not Pius the Eleventh. Yeah. Um. But but my point is read read those encyclicals on how they say we ought to relate to, um, modern scholarship when it comes to the the text of of sacred scripture and to the occasion of sacred scripture. Like obviously we can't just throw away a wholesale. Um, a lot of the research that's being done by scholars, we're not we're not fideists. We don't have this like uh, this odd credulity. Credulity uh, is that how you pronounce it? Credulity. Yeah, I I got to stop using new words. But we're we're not fideists. That, that's not how we approach scholarship. Uh, that's that's just not. But we also have to submit it um, to the historical uh, judgments of the church on things that are uh, related somehow to the deposit of faith. Uh, and and you have to ask yourself. Um, I'm not I'm not really making the judgment for you, uh, because I myself haven't extensively uh, looked into the sources of what Trent is is gathering this from or thought uh, insanely about the implications. This is just something I saw, and somebody asked me to comment on. Um, but ask yourself after reading those encyclicals: is is Trent really approaching um, critical scholarship? in a Catholic manner. I think that's something very important to, to ask. I'm not saying that he, that he is, or he isn't. Um, it's, it's my, uh, at least my judgment from a first glance that it seems like he isn't. Uh, it, it seems like some of these things, uh, can be dangerous of how we view critical scholarship. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess that's, I guess that's my thoughts on this, on this matter. I, I think we just have to, I think it's really the the debate about sola scriptura, 
Um, obviously, I've been thinking about this issue for quite a lot, and I'm going to be thinking about this issue a lot more the next three or four months. Um, but the the debate about sola scriptura, it's not about your epistemic argument. Um, it's just not it. It's not convincing. Uh, I don't I don't think it's it's sound. Um, and I and I think there's a lot of ways in which you can uh, easily escape it. Um, so it's not it's not really as much about the the, the epistemological argument. It's not not much about the canon argument. Uh, okay, uh, fallible list of infallible books is bad. Uh, uh, get owned prots. Uh, it, it's not as much about that. Where it really is, is you have to, you can easily demonstrate, and this is the historical methodology, demonstrate from sacred scripture, that is the authority that you guys hold in common. That's what apologists are supposed to do according to St. Thomas. You prove the doctrines of the faith from the authority you hold in common. It's going to be proving uh, that that the magisterium is an infallible rule, and it's going to be proving that sacred tradition uh, is also an infallible rule. And I, I think sacred tradition is actually a lot easier um, when, once we start discussing what sacred tradition is. Uh, in, uh, in reading something like Franzlin's uh, work on divine tradition, which uh, no, actually I think Father Ripper owns the copyright now, but uh, Ryan Grant uh, did the translation. Uh, to that, or, or just any other uh, sort of short work on tradition from the the first, usually in the first part of a manual, uh, such as the SPS, you know, sectional tradition. Uh, but but that that's where the debate is, and, and I think debate like that would be much more fruitful. Um, if I just sat down with a Protestant, we just started discussing what sacred scripture teaches about tradition and what sacred scripture teaches about the ecclesiastical magisterium. I think we would, on the one hand, get a lot more respect from Protestants. Um, I, and, uh, and on the other hand, um, I, I think there would be less occasion for the blaspheming of the faith. And, and by blaspheming, um, it, it might sound harsh, but let me explain. So St. Thomas uh in, in the Summa, when writing about uh, arguments from reason for the Trinity, there is in, in a certain case uh, where we can talk about after the ascent of faith has been given um, and then uh, speculatively investigating the Trinity, give some sort of reasons for fittingness uh, when it comes to the Trinity, why the Trinity is something which is uh, fitting for us to believe in. Uh, these aren't these aren't arguments that necessarily uh, invoke the ascent of the intellect. But it's really just a sort of a speculative contemplation of the mystery, I guess you could say. And St. Thomas, when he's writing about this, says that we ought not to use those reasons as a, an apologetic tool. And why does he say that? The reason he says this is because since they aren't something which is uh, necessarily follows demonstrably, uh, demonstratively, uh, because it isn't something that follows uh, necessarily, that it is going to give occasion for those who aren't Catholic to think those are the reasons why we hold to the mystery. And because they think those are the reasons why we hold to the mystery, then therefore they will blaspheme the faith as, as uh, resting upon such weak foundations. This is in essence what he says. And so when it comes to debates about things like Sola Scriptura, we have to be very careful about the type of arguments we use in apologetic situations. We have to be very, very careful because if we give bad arguments, what we're telling people is that these are the reasons. And th this is why, okay, I'm, I'm about, I'm about to go off on you guys, but th this is why 
uh, Hassan and I will get so upset about you guys uh, trying to engage in apologetics, whether it's something personal or, or something uh, corporate where you haven't studied the issue in, in, in a very deep manner. The reason is the people you're talking to think or, or the people who are uh, merely bystanders who are uh, kind of interested and in, in they're looking from the outside, they think those are the reasons why we hold to the mysteries. They think these are the, the foundations of the Catholic faith. And what is their response? They look at that and they say that is that is a bad argument or that is something which has weak foundations. And it gives them occasion for blaspheming the faith. And it's something which is very dangerous. So I think there needs to be, uh, when it comes to the debates around Sola Scriptura, there needs to be a complete turning. Turning away from uh, really what I, what I think are more sophistic tricks when it comes to the epistemological argument uh, that... that uh, that, that aren't too convincing. I mean, even even people who are proponents of the validity of the epistemological argument have to admit it's not the most convincing of arguments. Um, it, it just isn't. Uh, it doesn't follow upon um, a, a sort of physical or metaphysical necessity, more like a, a sort of moral fittingness. Uh, so it's not the strongest of arguments. Um, so so we, we do need to have a lot more uh, a, a reconsideration of of what we're doing with these arguments and, and focus on the traditional arguments uh, from scripture uh, arguing for uh, tradition and the magisterium as infallible rules of faith. Uh, this is just something we need to turn to. So Hassan, any thoughts? No, that's about it pretty much. Yeah. Trent, Trent Horn pulls up on the stream. Heard y'all were talking crap. Yeah. I've, I've not, if, if Trent, you happen to be watching, I have nothing wrong with you. I mean, it's just we disagree. Well, I guess, yeah, we just disagree on something. And I don't think disagreement on something should be. Uh, I mean, there's certain Catholic figures out there. I'm sure we all know who, uh, who do take disagreements to heart and uh, who do break friendships over it. But I mean, I'm, I'm friends with plenty of Protestants and Catholics who disagree. Christian, you are so imprudential, uncharitable. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's not, let's, let's like, you know, not make it too obvious. Let's, let's not make it too obvious, but yeah, yeah okay. I, I mean, it's, it's okay. It's not, it's not since it's not a Michael Lofton thing alone. No. I mean, there, there's plenty of people um, who, who engage in this way with other people. So, I mean, we're not, we're not just like picking on him no, or anything. No. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It, it, even, even individuals who, who just engage with that when it comes to the friendship. So I, I, I just like to um, state this antecedently. If Trent happens to be watching, like I'm not, I'm not just being a jerk or anything, and I'm just saying like you're you're dumb and you're an idiot. It's just just a disagreement. Um, I, I think you do a lot of good stuff. Regarding what you were saying, I have seen a Protestant. Uh, he's a friend of mine. He's a pastor, and he, you know, I I told him to you know consider the Catholic faith. I mean, not me specifically, but other people. And I have I have told him. The people told him before. And he just saw so much bad arguments coming from neo cats. Who thought? Who think they can argue while copy pasting stuff from like stuff they find on the internet? And he said, "I'm never going to convert to Catholicism because he just sees that, and he it keeps he keeps reminding him of that." And yeah, just pop. He calls it like the pop apologist genre. Yeah. Which I, I agree with that terminology, and it, it's just very sad because it has driven away, you know, it has driven away Catholicism from him. And I don't know if it's going to be permanent, but it seems so. So it's just like ah. Yeah, you, you, you meet a lot of people. I mean, like that, I guess that's kind of my background uh, for before I converted is a lot of people that I engaged with, um, or at least a lot of my views of the Catholic faith were shaped 
by bad arguments for the Catholic faith or bad descriptions of Catholic belief in such a way as I, I definitely wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't have ever uh, wished to convert to the Catholic faith. So, so really, you, you have to be very careful. Everybody out there who has any sort of um, mm-hmm. e- even even private engagement with other people, like that, that's something I think about frequently. Is like, okay, uh, there there's going to be a few hundred people who, who are watching a, a stream that I'm talking about something on. Am I uh, stating uh, the Catholic faith in such a way as it would be blasphemed? You, you have you have to you have to take a lot of this stuff seriously because you're you're going to be judged for the way in which you uh, the way in which you carry out the talents you've been given. You're going to be judged on. I that. was reading this this morning. Uh, the talents it's it's very mm-hmm. interesting. That that's kind of the way I understood it. So I'm glad that confirmed it. Yeah, like like we. We, we each have been given, and uh, and I think this is actually something I, I've seen in Newman's writings, where he had this very, Newman had this very strong sense of vocation. Uh, that, that's something that St. Newman excelled in, uh, in his private life. Uh, you, you see it in his Apologia Provita Sua. You see it in some of his meditations on his own vocation. And, and this is something Newman had a huge, huge sense of, is that we, we've each been given uh, some sort of calling and talents in order to carry out uh, the work of God uh, in this world uh, through through works of charity, through um, through prayer, through, uh, through through whatever it may be, even through natural vocations, uh, such as through parenting, uh, such as through um, through I don't know being a business owner, is that because of the the working of grace in your life, each of these are uh, instrumentalized in a uh, in a certain relationship. Uh, to the supernatural life, that you can use it to dispose yourself and others towards the Catholic faith and bring about the kingdom of God. So you have to be very careful, uh, e- even in your natural vocations, how you are going through life. Uh, this this is something that uh, Garrigou Lagrange was was actually famous for. And this is one of his biggest influences of Vatican II, is the universal call to holiness. Is, is there is a universal call to the spiritual life, to... Um, the, the call, the call of our Lord Jesus Christ to deny yourself, uh, w- was not something uh, which was just given uh, to the sort of ecclesiastical elite. This is something which was given to all men. This is something which is all men are called to. You have to be very careful uh, about how you live your life today and all of these days, about your about your life of prayer, about your life of study, about your works of charity. Uh, you have you have to be very you have to keep diligent watch over all of these things because you you may think at this moment that you're doing really good or that you are uh, in, in a good place right now or whatever it may be but those those are the moments in which you're most liable uh, to fall when you're not watching uh, because uh, Satan uh, this is something that's said at Compline every day but but Satan he 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 roams around. Uh, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and then uh, whom resists steadfast in the faith. So th- this is something you need to be constantly aware of, uh, and, and 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 that that's just something to think about, uh, I guess, on on a on a very uh, big uh, straying from the original topic. But this this goes for the people you talk to every single day on, on Discord, on Twitter, on uh, on, on YouTube comments, uh, what, what, whatever you discuss the faith. By the way, his biggest stumbling block is not the papacy, but the Marian dogmas. So just, really, yeah, really. He, he says he can't. The, the the one that is the biggest for him is the fact that Mary is ever virgin. He just cannot accept that. 
Really? Um, yes. I, I think Ever Ever Virgin's actually it's really uh, easily. I know, but it's you know he he's there's a verse in like Matthew twelve, which says you know I think the correct way to see it and this you know the the Catholic Church interprets it as cousins, but he just says no, it's brothers. Jesus had brothers. Mary had other children. It, you know, yeah, but but in the crucifixion narrative, it tells us who they are and who their mother was. So that's really unconvincing. No. Yeah, I've. You know, actually, I'm. Uh, the actually, there's there's a book that I the the first book that I ever edited. Um, do I have a copy anywhere around here? I don't. But it's a if if you guys are interested on the his different historical views. What is what is this called? I, that's that's terrible. I can't remember the name of a book. I I must have edited this like two years ago. This was kind of my first uh, try. Let me see if I can find it. But if you guys are interested in this, dang, what in the world? I'm not gonna be able to find this, am I? What in the world? He also cites uh, a verse, I think, in also Matthew. Which, which says, like, he knew her not until, and he says, ha, see, he knew her at some point. Oh, bro, no, not that until verse one. Yeah, the, bro, yeah, the, the until. until we're, the until we're verse, yes. Okay. No, nobody noticed the word until until now. Crazy. Until yeah. now. <laughs> Get it? Because that's, yeah, yeah. use... <laughs> right. that's actually a use. That's actually a use of until that, that demonstrates that until can be used in a sense. That doesn't necessarily cease the 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 previous um, the previous uh, iteration. Yeah, so. yeah, true, true. I would say his second stumbling block is the icon veneration, and you know he was kind of like eh, I guess not sure, and he saw the Gavin Ortland video, and he was just like, ah, he's so right about everything. Okay, here so. here it is, here it is. Oh, yeah. you guys remembered, and I didn't. That's kind of crazy since I edited this whole book, but it's an uh, essay on the brethren of the Lord. Yep. Yeah, this is uh JB Lightfoot. He's a he's a Protestant scholar. Um oh, I know Lightfoot, yeah. Yeah, Lightfoot, he's he's pretty uh he wasn't tractarian, but he was at least uh, pretty fair in his biblical interpretation. But uh Lightfoot, he goes over all of the various historical positions uh when it comes to what the brethren of the Lord are. It's really it's really cool, actually. I really enjoyed um really enjoy I mean that's why I reprinted it because I really enjoyed it. But yeah, I, I'm of the opinion um, that the brethren of the Lord are actually uh, Jesus's stepbrothers. Yeah, but the thing is that the thing I I used to hold that, but apparently, like the magisterium, at the very least, like fallibly binds us to the idea that Joseph was a virgin. Really? Yeah. Where? I'll get it for you now. It's in. I put it in Numenite somewhere. Um, I, there, there's actually there's actually a lot of cool stuff going on with um with Josephology. Yeah. Um. And then there's there's also I hear that a lot. Uh, uh, you know, a a marriage without uh without any relations is like not you know doesn't work. I'm just like, eh, it's like. <laughs> I think it's putting our modern so, that's marriage. Such, that's such, yeah, it's Coomer brand. Yeah, that's that doesn't make any. That's what? Yeah, it's. Our, I think they're putting their modern view of marriage on what? back to what it was then, which is very. You know, the whole point is that it takes grace, though. Like that's the whole point. It's that it requires grace. It's just. Oh. Uh, there's, there's one, a... 
Go ahead. I was like, I remember watching uh, you review uh, Timothy Gordon, and I was just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's literally shocked. the that's literally the mindset right there. Yeah. Uh, so Garigou actually has a few interesting essays on Josephology that a lot of people don't really know about. He wrote a lot of he wrote Here, a lot of stuff. Found it. Leo the Thirteenth, Quam Plurius. Uh... Let me see if I can find. Because in his in his mother of our savior, uh, he wrote about the um, Josephology a bit, but he actually has a lot more um, essays on Josephology. I, I don't know if he talks about the virtues and gifts of Saint Joseph, special character of Saint Joseph's mission. I don't I don't know if he talks about the virginity of Saint Joseph. Read, uh, read number four. I'm gonna send it to you on Discord. Oh. Yeah, if if you honestly, if you this this is something that is just super annoying. Um, with uh, crap, what was I gonna say? With with a lot of the Reformed Catholic types who deny the perpetual virginity of Our Lady, and it's like we we have like okay, so you're gonna you're gonna tell me. That you're you're different than than a lot of other Protestants, at, in that you sort of accept uh, ecclesiastical judgments, uh, that, that you're able to hold the quasi magisterium. So so you're on the one hand you're telling me this, and on the other hand we have the <laughs> the the doctrine with probably one of the largest ecclesiastical um, consensuses of, of any of any doctrine, which is the perpetual perpetual virginity of Our Lady. Every almost every single church has anathematized uh, those who disagree with the perpetual virginity of Our Lady, and, and you're telling me that like ah no for for these for these uh, for these various reasons that uh, have little to no merit or or can be read in read in a different sense easily. I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna drop the consensus. Come on. And when I hear stuff like this, you know, Mary had uh, yeah. I'm not gonna say it just because you know it's, I, I I'm shocked. Blasphemy. Like, yeah, blasphemy. But then they're like, oh, blasphemy. See, you worship her. Yeah. Just. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, bro. Yeah. I I don't understand how you could say that that's blas that 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 means that we. What? No. What? Yeah, it's just people online. Discord. Discord is the, is gonna become the new Reddit. <laughs> So well, I don't I don't understand why people can be so cringe. I literally hate it. I don't know what's going on. And it's it's not only on the Protestants; it's on the Eastern Orthodox. There was one dude. He said, "Which way, uh, Western man?" It was a picture of you know a very liberal depiction of Mary, and then the Orthodox like Kyotokos, and and dude, the dude called him up. Why do you why do you hang around losers? Bro? It was on Twitter. Orthodoxy's based, bros. It was a, a, a guy named Joseph. Uh, I don't follow him, but a, a guy I follow retweeted him. It was a guy named Joseph. I don't can't pronounce his last name, but he was mistreated by the Catholic Church, and he left for oh oh that guy yeah Joseph Skimbara or something like that. I'm not sure. I can't. What happened to him? Uh, I think he got sexually abused by a priest, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed. Yeah, YouTube don't demonetize. 
uh, he used to be uh, an Eastern Orthodox, and he got sexually abused by a, uh, a, a no. He used to be a Catholic. Uh, he got sexually abused by a priest, and he converted to Eastern Orthodoxy. And yeah, he's kind of like going on a crusade on Twitter right now against you know Catholicism. I don't really understand this motivation, but okay. I, I know. Yeah, it's. Oh, yeah, and then the Protestants have also been uh, complaining about Alphonsus Liguori. Oh, yes. Because of that James White video, that's why. Yes. Oh, did did, did Liguori talk about James White? Did Liguori talk about Did James White talk about Liguori? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he, oh, is it? Is it? I'm assuming it's just glories of Mary. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. They're I mean, saying that's not like even the even the central focus of his work, but okay. Like oh, I hate Liguori. Oh, what do you hate about him? The glories of Mary. Like, come on. At least, at least make it about his moral theology or something. At least make this discussion interesting. I, I, like, I swear, the... people will literally people literally hate other people or, or like certain authors for the dumbest reasons. Like you talk to Eastern Orthodox, like, oh, why, why do you hate, why do you hate Saint Thomas Aquinas? Oh, controversial quorum, bro. What is like, that? like, okay, okay, that, that's really that's your whole, that's your whole thing right now. That's why, that's why you hate him. Like, why is it controversial? Please make about something interesting. Uh, controversial quorum, because yeah. uh, allegedly a lot of the, um, I mean, it, it was, it was a medieval work of patrology, so there's a lot of forgeries in there. Oh, or, or really, nice. really. What's better? The better way of describing it is not a forgery; it's a misattributed work. That that's all it is. It's literally later, it, either later patristic or early medieval works that were misattributed to other authors uh, throughout time and in certain places. So it's not even like these works aren't genuinely Catholic. It's just they got the wrong author name on them, and then them Orthodox cry and pretend like it's they, they don't have uh, they don't have the access to the internet internet like we do so i mean the 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 funny thing is is when you look at medieval byzantine ecclesiastical writers they do the same exact thing like palamas he quotes multiple uh forged documents in order to defend his views it's like that that's just the reality of being a a pre-modern author is you don't have uh, the ability to discern between true and false works this is this is something that only happens uses mostly the same misattributions as saint thomas not know that. Oh, Ligori? No, uh, not Ligori. Um, Palamas. Oh, oh, Palamas. Oh, Ligori okay. yeah, Ligori's like, misattributions like... are just a mystery to me. I don't understand the glories of Mary's uh, citations at all. I don't understand what he think, what he thought he was doing. Well, I'm I'm sure he just got a hold of some books and made a compilation. I mean, that's not the craziest. It was, it, yeah, but it's like it's like actually mystifying because he doesn't say where he's getting it from. He just says it's in there somewhere. I've it was seen, revealed uh, to me in a dream. Yeah, I saw a a, a thing on Twitter a, a couple of minutes ago, and it was like a, a dude saying, "Oh, yeah," regarding the James White thing, and he's saying he represents one of the darkest ages in RC's the RC's church history. Oh yeah, I ratioed the crap out of that guy. Oh, I didn't so see me, it. I want to see it. I would yeah, like it. I, I, I like, I like destroyed. I like took his lunch money. I want to see it. Yeah, let me see. Christian should uh, should take a break from Twitter, maybe. I should do Why? that for next. What's wrong with ratioing somebody? I'm addicted to people's bad takes. Okay. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> that's actually really bad. He should 
not. I'm I'm not know. on Twitter that much. Yeah, I uh, know. I was kidding. I was kidding. Uh, I but uh, yeah. yeah I mean, if me, you I, actually are addicted to seeing people's bad takes, that's. I, I should for for Lent. I'm gonna give up on Twitter. It's a bit late. Uh, it's Lent's art. No, no. Next next year. <laughs> hey, next hey, year. Next penance. Year. It's never too late for penance. It's never too late yeah. for penance. Yeah. He. So he. He like quote tweeted the James White thing and said. Ligori represents one of the lowest and darkest periods in Roman Catholic theology. Some some dude named Jorge, and so he got nine he got nine likes. And I quote tweeted him, and I said I said something, and then I said jealousy breeds contempt. And I got eighty likes. He got <laughs> debunked, debunked. Eighty one likes now. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, because I mean, like if you the. That like it's it's not that I'm upset about like getting upset about the glories of Mary. Like, yeah, I I understand. Like, I mean, if there was a Protestant work like that going against the perpetual virginity or something and just used a bunch of fake quotes, I would be upset about it. But it's like there there's a difference between on the one hand, Ligori you have to realize uh he, he was just a pastoral theologian. Uh, he he did some speculative work, obviously, but it wasn't like you, like some of the stuff outside of more well outside of moral theology it isn't the type of stuff you'll get like a mariological treatise within the i, I don't know like Bañez's uh commentary on tertia pars like where he writes about mariology or like cajetan's uh work on the definability of the um of the immaculate conception or, or like one of those like scholarly mariological works he, he was writing a work of practical devotion which is what most of his works are. And yeah, he, he used the quotes he got and they were wrong. Like why, 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 why would you go from that to like, Oh, he represents the darkest period in Roman Catholic theology. Like, what, what are you getting at? Like, why are you doing this? It's cringe. He's a saint. He loved God a lot more than you. And the graces, he, the graces that were worked in St. Alphonsus Liguori is is more profound than your entire tradition has ever. Produced. I mean, they're, they're Protestants. They're just gonna say they're just gonna say that it's not necessarily the case that he loved God. He he just did. Yeah, and that's like you literally you literally have to be blind to say that he didn't. Yeah. True. Saint Bonaventure was revealed in prayer to a pious man whom I know and trust. <laughs> Literally, bro, trust. It's it's literally trust the plan. Numerous citations from the church fathers and doctors of the church, and then I I don't get what what I don't get is like from from like an apologetic uh, point of view, uh, because I mean Ligori did write Glories of Mary in Italian, so he was writing it to a popular audience. What what I don't get from an apologetic point of view is you just kind of like snag snagging up like a book of popular devotion or something and say like oh there's bad stuff in here and then say like okay therefore you guys are wrong like like what what is what is your what is your end like i mean the where issue, does the logic follow it, james white didn't bring up the misattributions issue he brought he just said that the the theology was blasphemous oh oh he did you yeah know, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna actually listen to what he said let's let's have a little listening party right here 
I don't even know what he what exact. I mean, I've heard him talk about it before. I mean, I used to listen to James White. Oh, oh man, I I forgot I've forgotten about literally everything that I'm supposed to tell you guys about. So, oh, dear, one second. James White. Many such cases. Many such cases. I know. I always. I'm. I'm the worst advertiser ever. Okay. Um. Patreon. Patreon.com slash militant Thomist. Do that. No Aquinas Academy. Link below. Annotated Thomist. Link below. And then new book development of doctrine. Link below. Okay. There you go. That's all I needed to say. The development of doctrine book is really good. There you go. Development of Doctrine book is really good. You heard it. Hassan approved. It's Hassan. Yeah, you sent you sent it to me, and I was, I was looking at it, and I just thought, how come no one's ever like? There's no, there isn't like more synthesis of St. Thomas's view out there in the public. Yeah, that honestly, that that book has done it. That book has done it the best. Like, obviously, you have Father Sola's study, which was just insanely good, and he he goes into the commentorial tradition, but actually, Sola. Solo, when it comes to actual, just like direct um, interpretation of St. Thomas, doesn't do much. Um, it's maybe, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, three or four pages, maybe from Father Solo's work. A lot of it's on uh, Kano's view, um, which Melchior Kano was a 16th century, 16th century? Yeah, late 16th century Dominican. Um, but yeah, when, when it comes to direct interpretation of St. Thomas's view cast into a little bit of, of a simpler sort of language, yeah, uh, this work by Gilby is just insanely good. So, <coughs> link below. So, yeah, this is the video. I oh, mean, what is he wearing? Oh, it's disgusting. Uh, don't ask questions. Praise. <laughs> Everybody commenting on that. Prairie. What'd you say? Everybody was commenting on the clothes. Yeah. One hope, Where's... one family. Real. Here's what. Oh, yeah, yeah, but not one baptism for the remission of sins. Here's what the prayer is. O mother of perpetual help, thou, thou art the dispenser of all the gifts which God grants to us miserable sinners. And for this end, he has made thee so powerful, so rich, and so bountiful in order that thou mayest help us in our misery. Thou art the advocate of the most wretched and abandoned sinners who have recourse to thee. Come to my aid, for I recommend myself to thee. In thy hands, I place my eternal salvation. And to thee, I entrust my soul. Count me among thy most devoted servants. Take me under thy protection, and it is enough for me. For if you protect me, I fear nothing not from my sins, because you will obtain for me the pardon of them, nor from the devils, because you are more powerful than all hell together, nor even from Jesus, my judge, because by one prayer from thee, he will be appeased. But one thing I fear, that in the hour of temptation, I may through negligence fail to have recourse to thee and thus perish miserably. Obtain for me, therefore, the pardon of my sins, love for Jesus, final perseverance, and the grace ever to have recourse to thee, O mother of perpetual help. Now, let me just 
make sure you caught this one section. If you protect me, I fear nothing. What are the three things this person is fearful of? Not from my sins, because you will obtain for me the pardon of them. Nor from the devils, because you're more powerful than hell, all hell together. Nor even from Jesus, my judge. Because by one prayer from thee, he will be appeased. Fear sin, devils, and Jesus. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I don't, okay, preface it, I'll preface it with this. I don't think there's anything formally wrong with what St. Alphonsus Liguori said there. Certainly, it could have been phrased a lot better. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I think, I think there, I think there's actually uh, an issue with, with some of our devotional tradition uh, when it comes to, like, extreme like like the like the the whole idea with the Marian Psalter, uh, Hassan and I were talking about the Marian Psalter a while back. Like I don't think there's anything formally wrong uh, with that, and it's actually expressing something which is true. But to the uninitiated, uh, it certainly does not go over. Like like you you shouldn't hand this to like a Protestant or something uh, in order. To... I've seen that happen, by the way. I've seen new converts be given the Marian Psalter. Yeah, uh, with same really again to, stupid. Yeah, to the uninitiated, like I, I would never hand a Protestant like the glories of Mary and say, "Yeah, read through this." I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong uh, with that prayer, but I certainly wouldn't be like praying it in front of my Protestant parents or something like that. Right. And I mean, th this just comes. This just comes from an understanding of the fact that. Uh, Our Lady's divine motherhood is within the within the hypostatic order, the, and once you're problem, able to, I, I I really don't think that the sort of like implicit tension between Mary and Christ is good though. Because what do you mean? That, that's not what's actually implicit to the text, but it's it's how most people would read it now. That there's some oh. kind of like Mar like Christ who wants to judge you badly, and Mary who stops him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I think if we like had a sort of exegetical explanation of everything that's going on in this prayer and why we're able to say all of those things, uh it would it would make a lot more sense to people. But I, I think just the rhetorical shock is definitely what uh James White read that uh for a very good reason. Um <laughs> he it, it it is rhetorically shocking to, to Protestants to be like, Okay, well yeah. They think Mary is basically Jesus. Yeah, I mean, that's what the, one of the guys who was commenting on this was saying. He was like, there was a guy called uh, Eustace Peccata, and he was like, oh, when I was Catholic, I was constantly afraid of Christ, and I put all my hope in Mary. And uh, Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And he was saying that, like, becoming Protestant allowed him to place those things in Christ. But... Okay, it is noon, so I need to get going. So I will talk to all of you guys later. Goodbye. It was nice. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye.